0: Well, praise Jesus today. Brother Fred's gone on uh, vacation, so uh, he's doing well. Just took Sunday off. So I'm back, back up quarterbacks, back in throwing today, I guess. So uh, anyway, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. And today, at first, or at least probably even through half of the first part of the message, you're going to say, well, this has nothing to do with me. For those of you who don't have children, at home, you probably will start to check out pretty early. But I'm asking you to hang with me through this whole message, because in the end, you will see, whether you have children at home or not, that this message applies to every single person that's in this building today, without exception. And as I prepared for the message today, I began to have my own conviction, and I begin to see things in a different light. In fact, so much so that this morning I told my wife on the way here, I said, this might be one of the most important messages I've ever given. That's how important today is. And it's about children. It's about Jesus loving children and what that looks like. And so if you will, look at Mark chapter 10. Verse 13, it's a familiar story, but I want us to break it down for a moment. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. It says, Then they brought little children to him, meaning Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now go back up to verse 13 and let's break this down. This is where we're going to stay right here in in this chapter and maybe one other. But in verse 13 he says, and they brought little children to him. That they might touch them. Now the question is: who is they? Who brought these children to Jesus? And why did they bring these children to Jesus? Well, it's clear it was either the parents, maybe grandparents, a caretaker of some sort, but someone responsible for children, and who probably was the parent of the child, Jesus was there, and they begin to bring the children. Babies through child age up to Jesus. Why? It says that he might touch them. In other words, these parents recognized that they themselves needed their children to be touched by Jesus. They knew even if they weren't followers of Christ necessarily, they wanted their children to have what Jesus could give them And that came through the touch of Christ. Now, there's something interesting that happened last week. I was honored to speak and do something that I had never done before, and that was to speak at the Dodge Elementary 5th grade graduation. And I always speak to older high school students and adults, young adults, obviously, with my work at the University of Mobile. But they called me several months ago, and they asked me, Dr. Savage, will you come over and speak to our fifth grade graduation? They don't call it graduation. They call it uh, uh, honoring service, ceremony. And for some crazy, ignorant reason on my part, I said yes. And by the night before, the night before, and even the morning of, I, my hands are sweating, I'm concerned, I'm nervous, and I'm like, what? why would you be so stupid to take on something like this? Give me five thousand adults and i'm fine give me a room of fifth graders and their parents it makes me a nervous wreck i'm like what do i what can i tell a bunch of fifth graders who's going to sixth grade right so i pray and i'm thinking about it and on the way i to the ceremony i write a few notes down and i get there i go talk to the principal i talk to the teachers and to begin to say, well, you know, what do you want? What are you looking for? How can this be? And and so I got up and was, it was, again, greatly honored and blessed to get to stand there at a facility packed of parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and all these fifth graders. And I began to share with them about choosing the right friends and how the world is upside down. And I, that was my whole talk is, hey, the world says to do this, but This is a better way. The world says choose the coolest friends and be like them and so forth. But it's better to have authentic friends and friends that will make you better and so forth. And the world says to to cheat your way through school and to get the best grade no matter what and however be lazy and don't study at all. Well, yes, the best way is to study hard and to prepare yourself and to do better and right and all this stuff about going into middle school. I didn't know why I was talking. I was making it up. But I kind of know, right? Simple principles. But then I came and I began to say, you know, the world is upside down in regards to helping other people. The world says live for yourself, but yet a better way is to serve others and to love others. I said, you know, Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to serve other people. Well, that's a little bit alarming, the name Jesus at a fifth grade public school graduation. And then... I began to continue to encourage the kids, and I ended with this. I said, you know, I said, y'all, the world says to go and live like someone else or live for yourself or to be a certain way. But the upside down, the flip side of that, that's the better way, is I said, you go be who God's created you to be. Y'all, the place erupted in cheers. How do you walk into a fifth grade public school elementary graduation and talk about and use the You know, you couldn't go out there and preach, and that was not the intent. But to at least put enough God and Jesus out there for people to think, how can it be that I could say at the end of the thing, you go be who God's created you to be and the place are erupt. You know what that tells me? And a society that supposedly doesn't care anything about Christ any longer? that people still desire for their children to be Christ-like and to have the principles of God in their life. Lost or not. Y'all, when I walked out of that room, in the midst of all the balloons and the celebration and all of that, rarely have I been stopped that many times by so many different parents who came up to me and said, thank you for that message. That was an amazing message. Thank you so much for that word. One woman came over and said, it was so good to hear God mentioned in the message. I had an 84-year-old or 83-year-old grandmother, great-grandmother, come up to me and she said, Honey, I want you to know, I've been to a many graduations in my life. And that is the best graduation message I've ever heard. You know why? Because the truth is, and we must acknowledge it, we think, and the world says, hey, no one cares any longer about God. You can't talk about Christ. You better not mention who God is. But listen, we better understand the world is upside down. The world may say one thing, but the world is longing and looking. The ordinary person in Mobile, Alabama, is looking for someone to stand up and say, the world says this, but Jesus is a better way. God's created you for more. You're purposeful for God, and God has a plan for your life the world's longing for that and lost parents y'all listen lost parents are longing. people who don't even acknowledge christ not totally but a majority of those an overwhelming majority long for their children to have the principles and the morals of what christ can give them is that right Now, they may go, and I don't mean this in a cussing way, they may go live like hell, but they want their children to live like heaven. Right? They may turn around and and live out a life of hell here on earth, but they want their children, and even though they're doing it in front of their children oftentimes, they still desire for their children to have the life of, 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 of heaven, the life of Christ. And what we see in the Scripture is, is that parents most likely brought their little children to Jesus that Jesus might touch them. But look what happened. The disciples of all people, not the Pharisees, not the religious leaders of the, of the, of the temple, not lost people, not God-haters, the disciples... The very ones who sat at Jesus' feet, the very ones who traveled with Jesus, they rebuked these parents, saying, No, 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 don't don't bother Jesus. They may have even, the idea was, he doesn't have time. Because, see, children were seen as second class, and adults were more the the, the main part of society and in this scripture you see the disciples saying hey don't bother him with little kid stuff he needs to focus you need to he needs to be focused on the adults on the on the serious business don't bother him with trivial children's stuff and look what jesus said it greatly verse 14 it greatly displeased him and he said, let the little, little children come to me. and Do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. You see, even the most spiritual followers of Christ, his disciples, never intentionally tried to keep a child from Christ. But certainly, they put a barrier up between a child and Jesus. And it made me start thinking, well, Jesus says that children are important and don't forbid the child to come to him. And none of us in this place would ever do that. But I bet the disciples would say that too. Instead, or this morning, we need to ask ourselves, and it's the question I'm asking myself, is how do I or how might I be hindering a child from coming to Christ? here's a few thoughts and i want us to be honest with ourselves for a moment most of what we as a church at luke 418 fellowship and other places most of what we do most of what we focus on most what we spend money upon is ministry to adults We almost have the same attitude, but not verbally, that we need to be fed and we want to be fed by Christ. But yet when it comes to kids, let someone else take care of that. We care for kids, but let's not do too much. Another way that we often hinder children is by making church and Christianity into a bunch of do's and don'ts. That has nothing to do with Scripture. I mean, uh, uh, James Dobson from Focus on the Family says, With a child, you should always strive to always say yes to a kid every single time. And when they cross the line, that's when you say no. But all the other times, you say yes. That you find ways to say yes to children. You don't always just say no, no, don't do that, can't do that, don't do that. Got to be this way, gotta be that way. And we, and I encourage you, as James Dawson did, as parents, find ways to say yes. But oftentimes what we do in the church is we teach them do's and don'ts, which almost turns us into a potentially into legalism, instead of that Christ is a lifestyle. Jesus is life. Not Jesus is a series of do's and don'ts. You know, something else that hinders children oftentimes is making church, and in many ways church, what we do represents Christ, but making church and making God impractical or even boring or not real to life. You know, a great example is my friend Keith Nicholson. Many of y'all know Keith. I, he's a children's pastor, a family pastor at a church in Columbus, Georgia. And Keith and I grew up together and have remained friends through the years. And in my mind, he's probably one of the top 40 children's ministers in the country. He's that good. Came out of the car to chill. And I was visiting with Keith, and Keith has an unbelievable children's ministry on Sunday mornings. So much so that he was telling me a family in his church was at vacation at Disney World. And the father called Keith and said, thanks for cutting my vac- our vacation short. And Keith said, what do you mean? He said, our kids, we were going to be gone on Sunday, and our kids were driving us so crazy to get, that we had to get back in time for church that we had to leave Disney World to come to be here at Children's Church today. You see, at Luke four eighteen, as we move into a new facility, and I know here we're limited, but when we move over there, y'all, listen, I want you to expect that we're going to have, and we have to have, a place where kids come and not learn just do's and don'ts, but they learn that Jesus is life. That God isn't just a part of their life, and then they have their secular life, but that God is all of their life. We've got to have a place where kids desire to come. We want a place where kids, where parents turn around and they cut their Disney vacation short because the kid wants to be in church on Sunday morning. You see, let me tell you why we've got to have that, and I'll explain that even further in a moment. Because, listen, in a society in the world today, we must be everything that we can to keep a kid. to to make sure that we're not standing in the way between a kid coming to know Jesus Christ. We must lower every obstacle and get rid of every hindrance that might keep a kid from coming to know Jesus Christ, even if that means we don't do what we like. You see, here's the reasons. Let me give you some reasons. We are where we are. Now, this is... Absolute fact, statistical fact. Those in their 20s right now, 21 to 30, 46% of those across this country proclaim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 46%. In the age group of 20s. That's the lowest percent in the history of America. It has always been. Well, over 60% of those in that age group who said, I'm a follower of Christ. It was for years at 74, 75%, 80%. Then it dropped down and began to be 63, 62%. Then it began to fluctuate. Well, the newest numbers is less than 50% of those in their 20s proclaim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How did we get there? Let me tell you, give you a few reasons. One is because the obvious, the world through because of internet and television and radio, multimedia, different things, which I watch and you guys do too. The problem is, as we all know, there's this constant barrage of secular thought, of meism, of fine security and how much money you make, in pornography, sensuality, violence, all of these bombardment constantly from society, is now we're beginning to reap what we sowed. Now, a part of that certainly now as we've gone from an argument about as recent as fifteen, twenty years ago, about sexuality to the boy scouts for instance saying hey it's okay for a kid to be gay and be in the boy scouts y'all may have seen the front page of the paper today i was quoted as saying that there's going to be a drop of roughly 40 percent of boy scout attendees and boy scouts in the deep south because the truth is in the deep south we don't live like the rest of the world and quite frankly i don't want to live like the rest of the country that's why i live in alabama And if that's backwards thinking then praise God it's backwards thinking but I don't stand for it because it's not right. And in the deep south, certainly things are beginning to shift and things are beginning to change. But I ask you, just as I ask myself who will be the light in the darkness? Who will bring hope? You see what the paper didn't quote and the purpose of the article was where's the Boy Scouts going? But in my interview with the reporter who i personally i like a lot is she asked my opinion i said let me give you what i believe to be truth i said and i would ask you please put this in the newspaper well it wasn't put in the newspaper but here's the point of the whole boy scout thing i said You guys are asking, and people are asking and focused on the wrong question. Should they allow scouts, boys, who publicly say that they're a homosexual, should they be allowed in the scouts? I said it's the wrong question. Adults who are responsible for these kids, who supposedly love these children, I'm sure they do, who are responsible for teaching these children, have you let this turn into an adult issue over if someone gay should be in the Boy Scouts or not? I said, but the simple truth is this: I said, and please quote me in the paper of saying this: Why would any organization why would any organization or adult who loves kids and who are responsible for kids and who cares for kids ever? Condone any child under the age of 18 being in any kind of sexual relationship. I said, you know, see, it's not just about if a person is heterosexual or homosexual. The question is this. Why would, what good comes out of any child having any kind of sexual relationships with anybody at that age? I said, do we forget it's a Boy Scout organization. It's not about adults, it's about kids. I said, and any adult who loves kids and is responsible for kids would never ever condone saying it's okay to be gay or straight either way because they have nothing, nothing good can come from being having a sexual relationship under the age of 18. I said, the only good that comes out of that is a temporary satisfaction that results in, in the lack of hope, de- depression, STDs, guilt, shame, loneliness, rejection. What good it comes out of this? I said, it's the wrong question. Adult people who cares for kids and who love kids. I said, don't, don't call us a God-hater because we stand against it. I love kids. It's not good for any kid to be in that kind of relationship. Am I right? And we must stand for truth. But you see, and I, I don't want to put this into out of context, but look over at chapter nine, for instance, in verse Mark, or in verse Mark, in Mark, verse forty two. And here's where we are as a society. Jesus said, but whoever causes one of these little ones of my little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Not fall, but stumble. You see what Jesus said and this is going to be could be certainly taken out of the context, but what Jesus says is listen, I'm a defender of children, Jesus said. I love children. Children need to come to me. For what? Not so they can be politically correct or be whatever they want. They come to Jesus because Jesus has an abundant life that's set up in a certain way that God's created people. And so the whole idea is this. When society or a person or an organization or you or me does something that makes a child stumble, And stumble from what? Stumble from who Christ is. The things that's against God. Anytime that happens, Jesus, according to him, says it's better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and thrown into the bottom of the sea. Why? Because God is the judge, not me. God is. and He loves children and he defends children. Why? Because children are innocent. And when you, a person or an organization begins to say it's okay to be this way or not be this way, when an organization turns around and begins to have a child stumble. For instance, I spoke to the best youth in Baldwin County recently, from the Baptist churches of Baldwin County. It was an all-afternoon, Sunday afternoon deal, and they asked me to come and share with them and talk. And when I came over, one of the exercises I had the kids do is write down on a piece of paper all of their sins in one column and their, and their, their uh, uh, things that trip them up in another column. And then the exercise was I had them take that to Jesus to the cross so that they could walk out free. And when I got those papers turned in without their names on it, these were primarily 13-, 14-, and 15-year-old kids. And I kid you not, both girls and guys alike, in the column, pornography, pornography, homosexuality, abuse, lust, lust, pornography, homosexuality, abuse, anger over family, hurt over family, depression over family, broken home, makes me hate my dad. I kid you not, overwhelmingly the majority of those kids had some one of those in, the, in their column of what they face on a regular basis that they continue to have struggle with. They're the best kids, Baptist kids in Baldwin County. And I looked and I teared up, and I said, if that's the best Baptist kids in Baldwin County, what's the rest of the kids like in Baldwin County? Whew. And then I began to look at our own lives and our own selves and began to say, well, they're bombarded by secularism. That's number one. Number two, for 250 years, American public school systems textbook had the great the Ten Commandments in it scriptures by Jesus in it and a teaching of morality that came from scripture in it for 250 years of course we removed all of that and then 1962 we allow prayer to be taken out now do the math that was in 62 here's where we are that group was raised without any eight hours a day without any talk of God Then they have their children, so thus they don't have an understanding of who God is, and this new generation doesn't know who God is. Now we're moving into the third generation from 1962. You see, the first one didn't affect us near as much as the second, and now we're moving into the third. Does this make sense? So when you remove God as the compass of good and bad, of morality... Surely, just in that sense, not to mention the relationship of Christ, and you begin to remove that from society of eight hours a day that was a part of the major emphasis within our public school system for 250 years. And we remove that, and you remove one generation, two generation coming into the third generation, they naturally don't have any comp- understanding or comprehension of who God is. And in fact, because of the secular bombardment and the lack of truth being taught, then you have the result of people who are almost opposed to God because they've been indoctrinated with this. Then you have parents. Parents who rely upon someone else to teach right and wrong, or parents that rely upon the church to teach only about Christ, or parents who now as we're moving into this group, this 20-something, where only 43% have a relationship with Christ. That means 60% or 57% have no understanding of Christ whatsoever. Some that are against God. You've got this 43% who maybe don't even know really who Christ, I mean, they have a, they're a follower of Christ, but they don't truly understand Christ is life. So then what we have now is a situation of down the line, these generations of children who don't get it, they get bombarded from secularism, you, get it from the, you don't get it at school at all, and now your parent doesn't get it either. Thus, that child's not being taught by the parent. Now, let's get real close to home. And I'm not saying we, we, I know we strive to teach the Scripture. But what's happened is even the church kids, since about 19, the, 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 the mid-90s or so, the church didn't know what to do to compete with this secular bombardment of entertainment. And what it offered. So the church turned around and tried to compete with that. And can't compete with that. And tried to be like that. And you don't need to be like that. And thus they began to water down the gospel. And now I'm telling you the truth. At a Baptist university like the University of Mobile. An overwhelming majority of our students who come from Baptist churches. Who are followers of Christ. Enter into our campus. And they are biblically illiterate. They don't even understand the basics of the Bible. Why? Because they're not being taught the Bible at church. So now they have a bombardment of society mixed with school that used to give at least some sense of morality in God being removed. A parent who doesn't know who God is, you remove that. The church wants to give animal crackers, animal cookies, instead of the story of Noah's Ark. And you have a child who doesn't have a comprehension of who God is. Thus, you have 43% of this group who, have, who are followers of Christ. If we don't do something drastic and do it quickly, the next generation after this generation will be looking at probably about 28 to 30% who are become followers of Christ. About one in every four Americans will be a follower of Christ by the year 2030. And then the next generation, we're looking at basically... England, France, Amsterdam, Holland, Germany. A God void. So what do we do? How do we change this up? Let me give you an absolute fact of of a statistic. Follow this. This is why this is important today. Fifty percent of those who will come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior will do so before their 13th birthday. One out of every two. Two Two-thirds, roughly 63%, of those who will ever in their lifetime come to be a follower of Christ will do so before their 18th birthday. So 2 out of every 3 people who will ever become a follower of Christ in their lifetime will do so before their 18th birthday. Y'all following this? Evangelism and the great commission obviously is a heartbeat of Luke 4:18 fellowship and the heartbeat of us as followers of Christ. I ask you, what is the most prime time for someone to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Before they're 18. Because two-thirds do so before they're 18. In fact, what's the most prime time? is Before they're 13. Because one out of every two will come to know Christ before their 13th birthday. So what does that say to us? It tells me that we, as a congregation as we transition into a new building with dynamic facilities that we can have the facilities which we will and we can have a program which we will but unless we make an intentional focus upon children and young families then I believe that we're missing the greatest evangelism opportunity that we could ever have. That we can share Christ, which we do around the world through our missionaries and spend a lot of money going other places. But unless we're reaching children right here in Mobile, Alabama, we're missing the greatest opportunity that we have of someone coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Statistically, they're doing it before they're 13. And two-thirds are doing it before they're 18. Only 25% of those who will ever come to know Jesus Christ, will do so after their 18th birthday. Isn't it amazing? So where should our focus be? You see, that's where I come back to in the unintentionality of making the focus upon adult ministries. Spending money overwhelmingly on adult ministries. Being involved primarily in adult ministries being focused on adult outreach. I challenge us today to look at what Jesus has to say of, let the children come to me, and then look at statistically and say we better spend our focus and our energy and our time and our heartbeat and our money and all of this stuff, our our abilities on reaching every kid that we can as fast as we can. Not only that, but we must recognize the primary window of opportunity for effectively reaching people with the good news of Christ is during their preteen years. It's during these years that people develop their frame of reference for the remainder of life, especially theologically and morally. If they don't get it before they're 18, odds are they're not going to get it. And odds are they're not going to ever come and sit in our, in our beautiful building out there because they didn't get it as kids. Now, here's something else that's interesting. I would love to say that my preaching will make all the difference in the world and win kids to Christ. But get this statistic. Only 7%, that's what, less than one out of every 10, only 7%, of those children who come to know Christ will come to know Christ through the preacher's message. Guess where it's happening? Half of the children who come to know Christ will come to know Christ through their parents. So if you're a parent here today, realize and recognize, don't depend on me, or Brother Fred, David Bullock, or Mandy Boyle, Half of the children who come to know Christ do so through their parents. Now, for us in a society where the parents don't know Christ, we need to make sure that they're being exposed to Christ as rapidly as possible, too, these young families. There's something else that's of interest, I think, is that only one out of ten people who make a decision for Christ in today's society right now in Alabama will do so during the invitation time. Y'all hear that now, that's very important. Only one out of every ten people, regardless of age, who makes a decision for Christ will do so during the church service as a part of the invitation. You see, that used to be the primary method, wasn't it? In fact, church history teaches us that the Sunday night service was created for as an outreach event every Sunday night. That's why Sunday night churches ever began. But today, in 2013... The percentage for where people come to know Christ, regardless of age, is through a relationship with someone else who is a follower of Christ. Which means if you, rep- if you depend upon, Brother Fred and I, in this stage for people to come to know Christ, our apples are in the wrong basket. In today's society, people come to know Christ because they know you, and they respect you, and you share Jesus with them, and it takes time, and then they respond to that because they trust that whatever you've got, they want. Does this make sense? I'm never saying we do away with the invitation or do away with preaching. That's absurd. But what I'm saying is don't depend on this, what we do on Sunday morning, to win people to Christ. People today are coming to know Christ through personal relationships. That's the person you work with, the person that you befriend at the grocery store, the teller at the bank, the neighbor. It's people that's around you, your family member. That's overwhelmingly how people are coming to know Christ, through that personal relationship. Now, let's get back to the kids for a moment. Brother Fred and I were having a conversation about this very topic recently, and Brother Fred said this very interesting, something I didn't know. He said, Joe, you know why churches are in decline? I said, well, I have a few ideas. Tell me what you think. He said, churches have plateaued and are in decline. And by the way, 72%, I was in the Baptist meeting last week in Montgomery, 72% of all Southern Baptist churches in the state of Alabama have plateaued or in decline. That equates to 2,330 churches in our state that's plateaued or in decline who are Southern Baptists and we're the Bible Belt, 2,330 churches. He said, you know why it's in decline? I said, tell me. He said, because we've lost focus on kids. He said, I remember in the 70s, kids were a primary focus. VBS was a big deal, bus ministry. You would go get on the bus, and you go pick up every kid and any kid that you could get on the bus. And... People had an intentional focus on kids, to share with kids, to love kids, to make sure they understood who Christ was. He said we had an unreal focus on children. And across the country as Baptists, that was our main focus was on kids. He said then we, became, we, we began to evolve and change, and then it became more focused on the adult the young adult and then the adult and now it's primarily focused on the adult and he said we have it all so backwards because we've lost sight of the kids and the primary purpose of the primary place of evangelism is with kids and we've lost that that's why i'm sharing today this message as we're six eight weeks or so forth from getting in our new facility. That we must place our focus back on, and Brother Fred's bringing and advocating that we must place and do everything we can to reach kids. That it's not just about me, as a forty-four-year-old adult. Or you, it's about kids. So, what can we do? Look at Mark chapter nine. This is our last verse, verse thirty-five. Or 36. The disciples were in an argument over who was the greatest. And Jesus turned around and he surprised them. There's a young boy, at least one, who's sitting there and there, that's around. And he brings the kid over. And look what he does with this little boy. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Y'all, that scripture last night as I prepared for this message absolutely rocked my world. Picture it. They're arguing over who's going to be the greatest, who knows the most. And they're sitting around, and there's kids. And Jesus takes this kid, and he says, come here. And he takes this little boy. He says, come here and get my lap. What a great picture of Jesus. And he takes the boy, and he puts the boy on his lap. And he puts his arm around to these guys who were knew it who were deep in their follower as followers of Christ, who understood Scripture, who had prayed with Jesus, had performed miracles, and here's Jesus with this little boy. And he says, guys, whoever receives a kid like this, right? Sid, send me your kid, right? Bring him up here real quick. We've got we to see this, y'all. We've got to see this. He don't care. He's half asleep over here. Some of y'all are the same way. It's all right. I don't get offended by that. Paul preached one time and the boy was in the window and fell out of the window and died and they raised him from the dead again. So good things can happen. All right. Come here real quick. you my buddy. Come on. We got to show something. Come here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. We got hungry people. We got to go. All right. Here he is teaching, right. Come here. You're the man. I love this boy. And Jesus sits here with this boy named Alams. Right? He's got a big daddy. And he's he's right there. (laughs) And he takes, and look at this. The disciples, y'all. The best of followers. And they're talking about who's going to be the greatest, who knows the most, who's done the most. And Jesus flips it around on him, and he says, brings a boy and puts him on his lap, and he says, when you receive him, you receive me. And when you receive me, you receive the one who sent me. So how important is this? Right? Praise God, he's raised in a great family, by a great family. But how many kids in Mobile aren't? How many kids need someone to reach out and touch them? So what do we do for kids? Whether you have kids, like kids, want to be a kid, hate kids, whatever kids regardless and this is why I'm saying this is important to every person here what can you do serve we got to double up our children's ministry workers coming up pray right here don't go anywhere (laughs) love you you're doing great what you do pray for him and kids in our church, like this little boy over here, right? Different ones. You pray for people like this, the parents. You pray for the workers. You give to causes that's going to reach kids like this, because if they don't get it, if he doesn't get it before he's 13, it's not going to happen, statistically. So you give, you pray, you get involved, you support, you say... We got a place of focus, and I may not have a clue how to speak to a fifth grader, but I'm going to be willing to do it with sweaty palms and all. Because Jesus said, when you receive him, you receive me. You receive me, you receive God. Let's pray.